<laughs> so I just want to share my testimony for a minute before I start getting into the word. Um, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, uh, I grew up more in the street. I, uh, I came from uh, uh, divorced parents. My parents were divorced when uh, I was four years old. And uh, at age six, I began being molested and sexually abused when I was very young. And um, throughout the years, my sexuality, my identity um, was very confused. It was very confusing. I didn't know who I was. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, every, I lived predominantly with him. And um, throughout the years, he would have a different uh, uh, woman in his life. So I'd have a different stepmom figure in my life. And it just, very, it just confused me so much. I didn't know what was what was proper, what was right. I didn't know if I was straight, if I was gay, if I was bi. And then when hormones kicked in around 12, around 13 years old, I actually started acting out um, my sexuality in ways that were are, that are perverse. And I was just so confused. And because of all the brokenness in my life, um, my avenue out of this was drugs. And uh, at the age of 13, I started smoking weed. By the time I was 14 years old, I was already a full-blown meth addict that was shooting up. Um, and that lasted for 10 years of my life, um, from 14 to 24. And I was just completely broken, um, completely feeling alone in this world. And I just didn't know what to do. So all I did was numb myself, numb myself, numb myself. And then in 2011... Uh, it was after I went into the army for a little bit, um, but I, I, I went to Afghanistan. And when I came back from Afghanistan, that just coupled everything else from my childhood even more. And I obviously just went back to what I know again, which is drugs. And I got out of the army. I went to uh, North Carolina, which is where I'm originally from. I was raised in Hawaii, but um, I went to live with my mom after I got out of the army. And I went back to selling, went back to using, and I was in the car with my older brother and we got pulled over by the cops and I ingested a whole bunch of methamphetamine and a whole bunch of oxycodone and um, basically I, I overdosed and I had to get rushed to the hospital and my heart stopped for two minutes. Um, it, start, it stopped two times and uh, you know they brought me back to life and I didn't have no encounter in the hospital. It was just completely black. Um, which scares me even more because, you know, God is light. And um, I now look at that, that it was just an absence of light. It was complete darkness. You know, I wasn't saved back then. I, I didn't have a relationship with God. And so from that moment, um, it really shifted something in my, in my mind, you know, shifted something within me that I knew that I needed to get help or else I was going to, die or go to prison for the rest of my life. And so I uh, actually flew back to Hawaii and I started going to rehab. Um, actually, prior, prior to that, I actually, I got out of the hospital and I, uh, I was trying to do the right thing, but how you know, like with God, it's just a, a struggle. With God, it's impossible to do it on your own. So when the withdrawals came in, like, even though the thought was like, you needed to get it together, the withdrawals came in, and, and I actually went back out and started using it a little bit more, and I actually broke into a house and um, burglarized the house. I 
I stole a bunch of firearms, stole a bunch of jewelry, and I ended up pawning all the jewelry in um, a pawn shop that was in my hometown, which was obviously the thinking isn't very smart, you know, that's, you know, you can, (laughs) I wasn't rational back then, but, um, and so the detective obviously finds out who it is, it's me, and I own up to everything, I'm confessing, I'm confessing, I'm confessing, and they basically give me like an unsecured bond, which is, means that you can just sign yourself out and um, you'll get a court date. And what I did was I got on a plane and I left. I flew to Hawaii and I went to rehab. And I basically ran, is what I'm telling you. And so I'm in rehab in Hawaii now. And um, I'm doing good for like three months. And then I, uh, I actually go out with my father and start drinking. We go to a party. And um, I go back to the rehab facility, and I get into a fight, and I get kicked out. And here I am. Now I'm kicked out of the rehab facility. I'm lying on this dirt road in in the middle of, it's like the the backwoods of Hawaii. There was nothing around. And I don't have no money. I don't have, my father wouldn't let me go back to this house because I had burnt so many bridges with him um, throughout the years. And I'm lying there, and I had a concept of God growing up, right? My, 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 my grandma actually played the organ in an old Baptist church. And so my, I have memories of my grandfather like walking me to church when I was real young. And so I always had a concept of God. And if it, it was God, it would be Jesus. That, you know, my, I owe that to my grandfather. And grateful. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for that. So I'm sitting there and I'm on this dirt road and I'm crying out to God. And meanwhile, you know, I don't have a relationship with him, but I'm like, how did I get here again? I thought I was actually doing the right things and, and finally on my way to a right path. And I get this phone call out of nowhere. And it is, the, it is this lady that does my intake, that did my intake into the rehab facility. And um, she says, and I only met her one time, and she says, this is going to sound weird, but God spoke to me and told me that I need to help you. And now, mind you, she's breaking all the rules because if you know anything about rehab facilities and stuff, they're not supposed to do that with patients. But she was obedient to the voice of the Lord, and she, her and her sister came and picked me up. They took me to another rehab facility where I was able to stay there for a week and then get back into the original one. And it sparked this amazing relationship between me, her, and particularly her daughter. She had a four year old daughter. And her name was Kiana de la Cruz. And me and this little girl became best buddies. And we became connected by the hip. And we did everything together. And I know now that, you know, it's the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. And he knew that I needed the innocence of a child in my life because of my broken childhood to repair me. And then shortly after that, I go to church, and I give my life to Jesus, and then I begin this amazing walk with the Lord. But mind you, I have this whole shadow over my life with all that stuff from my past. And so I'm starting going to church, and, you know, I'm just serving, 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 and I'm loving it, and I'm loving it. And I still have a lot of baggage and everything, and I just keep hearing. I don't know much about the voice of God, but I just keep hearing this thing like, Stay here. Stay with me. Stay in this place. Don't go back because if you go back, you're going to go into the system and you're going to get recycled. And then he he was just telling me to stay with him. 
And it's contrary to everything that the world will tell you, you know? It's contrary to what's rightfully the law, you know, to go face the charges. But I listen to God. I listen to God. And as years gone by, about five years, I'm at the point where I'm, my mind is renewed. I'm, I'm living a sanctified life now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm living in holiness and purity. And I, I, I'm to the point where, like, I don't care what happens no more. Like, if, if I were to go to prison, I would be okay because I know who I am. And so I start applying for jobs where, where I know that they would do federal background checks. And I applied for a job working for the Salvation Army, being an assistant teacher for a preschool. And um, I go to apply for this job, and sure enough, they fingerprint me, do all, all that. And it comes back. It comes back. So I got to go to the Department of Human Services. And I go into this office, and um, I'm talking with this guy, and he's being all, he's got this little binder. He's being all secretive. And he's like, he's bringing up my military career. And then he's like, were you caught? with possession of stolen firearms in 2011. And um, I'm like, yeah. Immediately when he said that, I'm like, oh, you know, the feds are about to come and arrest me and I'm going to go to prison for a long time. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, I was thinking like, they're going to come and arrest me and all this. And I'm just owning up to it. I'm owning up to it. I'm owning up to it. And at the end, he says, well, it's a good thing that they were all dismissed. Praise God. And inside, you know, I'm keeping it cool, right? I'm not reacting. I'm like, yeah, of course they were, you know. But inside, I am freaking out. I'm like, how is this possible? How is this possible? And also, I, had thir- I didn't have insurance when I, was, when I spent five days in ICU. I had $30,000 of hospital debt. And throughout the years, I wanted to pay that. One year, I checked it, and it was there. And around the same time, when I found out all about my charges were dismissed, $30,000 they told me it was wiped clean. They said they didn't know. They said, we don't know what you're talking about, sir. The money you don't owe, there is nothing. So God not only saved me spiritually, he saved me in the physical. And this is the beauty of our Lord, you know, that he can take a person like me, he can take a person like Saul and change him into Paul and to write the two-thirds of the New Testament. Our God is a beautiful, wonder-working, redeeming God, and I am proof of it. And I get to sit up here now and be a living testimony. I get to be a, a, a life of worship unto him. And this is now the only reason I live is to give Jesus glory because he rescued me out of the ashes and he brought me to new life. And so that is the quick version of my, my testimony. It was really cool about the guy, too, at Department of Human Services, because at the end, he wasn't even walking with the Lord, but at the end, he was like, you know, Ryan, I don't know much about the Bible, but I know that even the disciples didn't even have it all together. And then, you know what I mean? And then I got the job. I got the job, and I became a preschool teacher and um, began this amazing walk with God. Um, but today, I want to preach on something that is um, near and dear to my heart because um, I lived a life that was very prideful. Um, and the Lord does not like pride. He actually resists the proud. And so one thing that has drawn me to God even more throughout the years is humility. 
Humility is so precious. It is the thing that I admire most about God. If I'm being honest, I'm just drawn to it. I, I love the lowliness. I love the selflessness. I love the pureness of it. Um, it's one thing that drew me to global awakening um, in Randy Clark. I've never seen a man walk in such humility as he does. And so everywhere I go, I just look for humility because it's if you if you see a person that is walking in humility and that is in humility you know that they're walking in the Lord because that is his nature amen um but humility can be defined as this it can be defined as the obedient submission of Jesus Christ to his father seen in his willingness to become a human being for humanity's sake his freedom from self-interest and his willingness to serve others but in its simplest and purest form, it is selflessness. Um, Andrew Murray also says that um, the, the true definition of childlikeness is the absence of consciousness, self-consciousness. So to be truly childlike is to be fully conscious of God. Right? If you look at children, you can see that. They're like mother, mother, father, father. Like, they're just focused on the parents. Right? Andrew Murray also says this. If you, there's a book called Humility, and it's called The Way to Holiness. It says, but he's, it's an amazing book if you haven't read it. And he says this. It says, humility is the place of entire dependence on God. It's the first duty of the creature and the root of every good quality. Likewise, pride, or the loss of this humility, is the root of every sin and evil. And we see that in the person of Lucifer. Right? You see Lucifer in heaven did not want to worship God no more. He started focusing on himself. He wanted to be worshipped. That is where the whole extent to this thing began. Now, the original sin began in the garden, but... It, wasn't, it was because of Lucifer started worshiping, wanted to be worshipped. Um, but I, I just want to pray again before, we, uh, before I open up to the scriptures. Father, I just thank you. I just thank you for your humility, God. I thank you that you rescued us, God, that you came down, Lord, when you didn't have to. You came and gave up your life for every child of yours um, throughout all the years, God. I thank you for the pureness of you, Lord, that you would do that, that the God of this world and the universe and everything that we see and comprehend would come down and be low because of us, because you love us. So we just worship you, God. You're so beautiful. You're so pure. You're so gracious that you would think about us in that way to send your son to die for us to save us from our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. And I read out of the NASB, but I'm going to read from the NASB. And I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, who, it's Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen. There are three things within this passage that I want to focus on. Number one is Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. This blows my mind. This is the word of God. All right? This is the one from John 1 where it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All right? This is the one that spoke everything into creation. Everything that you can see, that you can think of, that you can imagine, he spoke it into creation. All right, listen to what Colossians 1 says about Jesus. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of creation. By him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And yet, he did not regard equality a thing with God to be grasped. How do we fathom that? See, Jesus knew that there had to be an all-sufficient sacrifice. There had to be an atoning death to atone for our sins. And the only way for that to be possible is for him to become a mortal, for him to take on human flesh. So Jesus came down and went and died at the cross so that we could live. You know, we're in a time right now where everyone thinks they're right, that everyone wants to grasp to something, right? They want to grasp to their opinions of truth. They want to grasp to their ideologies of economics, of politics, of equality, of gender, of I can go on and on and on and on and on. They want to grasp to something. They want to cling to something because they think they have the right. But Jesus did not cling to his deity. He did not grasp to what was rightfully his. He actually forfeited it for us. What gives us the right to do this? See, we only have, if you've entered into the baptismal waters, If you've given your life to Jesus, you've actually forfeited your rights. You have one right, and that's to love him. Maybe that's why they call it righteousness. It's so pure, but we want to cling to things. We want to grasp to things. We have um, an our way mentality. Like I said, it all started with Lucifer, but you can also see this in Adam and Eve, um, in the garden in Genesis 3, 6, she looked at the fruit and saw that it would make her wise, right? It would make her wise, self, self. And really, she, her and Adam were already wise because they were made in the image and likeness of God. 
They had their, they had his nature. Um, there's this all our way mentality uh, going throughout the world, and it's a, a prideful mentality. There's a story in Genesis 11:4, um, and it's the story of Babel. I'm just giving you examples of this, and um, the story is basically uh, the people. Um, God's people come together in unity, right? And they build this tower up to try to reach heaven, right? So this is what they said. They said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. There's a us mentality with this, right? See, the thing about this, though, is interesting. It was because they were in unity, but it was perverse. And if you look out into the world, that's what you see right now. You do see a lot of people being unified, but it's perverse as all can be. Um, and it's not too hard to see. We have a standard, which is the word of God. See, true unity is understanding our union with God being in unity with each other in that way and according to the standard of God. It's not being in unity in all these other perverse ways. But we need to be grasping to the word of God. We need to cling to the will for the church, for what does God want the church to be like um, according to his word and his spirit. This is the truth. You know, instead of looking out on social media, looking out on the news outlet, looking out on all these platforms and seeing all these things and being like, oh, that's a good idea, that's a good idea, that's a good idea, that's a good idea. This is a good idea. This is the, this is the only idea. <laughs> the word of God is the only truth that there is. You know, there is... Um, I'm just really sick of selfish Christianity, man. I'm going to be blunt with it, you know. Selfish Christianity is not even Christianity. It's actually selfism masked with God-centered altruism. And what that means is, I know those are fancy words, but what that means is it basically means you say it's about God, but really it's about yourself. And that's not the way. That is not the way of Jesus because he gave up himself. He made it nothing about himself. He made it about all of us. And that's the truth. We've got to surrender our entire life to Jesus and make him the only thing. Can you bring me another water? I, think it's dying. I go through water a lot when I preach. I'm sorry. My mouth is super dry. Thank you. Um... Okay, number two, Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. The Greek word for emptying is kinos, and it's where we get kenosis. Uh, it means to divest oneself of rightful dignity by descending to an inferior condition. What this means is that it was the emptying of his will and being fully receptive to the fathers. See, Jesus had all the right in the world to do anything. 
He had all the right in the world to call fire and brimstone down on us because, honestly, we deserved it. Right? We have broken all of his commandments. Um, we've turned from him many, 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 many times. And he could have done that, and he would have been right. Right? We can't tell the creator of, of everything that you're not right. You know what I mean? It's just he could do anything. But he didn't. He actually gave himself up for us. And, um, you know, I look back on my life, and I see countless of times, pre and even post-Christian in my early years, where um, I just turned from him in many different ways. And I deserve the cross, not him. There's this beautiful picture, and um, it's in all the Gospels, actually. It's in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, June 18. John 18. It's June 18. <laughs> and it's... Um, it's the picture of Barabbas uh, and him on trial. If you know anything about this story, it's that when Jesus went on trial, um, Pontius Pilate said, oh, I'll offer up another person, because he couldn't find any fault in Jesus. I'll offer up another, release another person. And Barabbas was an insurrectionist, right? And an insurrectionist is one that at the time was trying to overthrow the Roman government. Right, and it's interesting because the name Barabbas actually means son of the father. It's Bar Abba, son of the father. Right, so you see this beautiful picture that the son of the father took the place of the son of the father, so that the sons of the father can be reconciled to the father. It's an amazing, beautiful picture. Okay, the son of the father took the place of the son of the father, Bar Abba, so that the sons of the father could be reconciled to the father. It's a beautiful picture. And it's interesting because we, we have all been insurrectionists of his government, of his kingdom. We have all tried to overthrow his government because of sin, because of walking this thing out like we want to. And yet, we see this beautiful picture right here. This is the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his brother. He took the form of a bondservant. Bondservant is an interesting term. It's, uh, in the Greek, it's dulu. And what it means, it's, it's, it's a slave, but it's one that is voluntarily. Right? There's this story I'll tell real quick. Uh, um, it's, this is a story of these two Moravians. And if you know anything about the Moravians, just, they are just radical Jesus liberals. I'm not going to get into the, the history of them. But they saw, this is way back in, in time too, a um, long time ago. And they saw this boat uh, being filled with slaves. right? And they were born again. They were Christians. And they were burning with the gospel. They were burning with Jesus. And they were like, this isn't right. These people are, are going to be slaved for their entire life. And they're going to die in slavery. So what they did was, is that they voluntarily became slaves themselves. And they got on that boat. And they preached the gospel. And people got born again. And people got saved. That, that is a voluntarily uh, bondservant, bond voluntarily slave. It comes from the word dulu. And so the Lord voluntarily came down and became a slave to God. 
meaning he did what the father told him to do and what he saw the father doing. Um, he became, the father became his Lord. And when somebody becomes their, your Lord, that means they have master ownership over you. All right? It means that's why you see in the Bible, he only did what the father told him to do. He only did what he saw the father doing. It, he, that's it. The, we, you know, we like to preach a gospel about Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be here if he wasn't my Savior. But Lordship, when I'm on the streets and, I, and I'm like evangelizing, I actually start with Lordship. Right? Because, you know, it's one thing to just have somebody raise their hand and, and give their life to a Savior, but you want to explain to them, no, like this comes with something. Right? And it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. But there are things that you got to get rid of. There are things in your life that you just got to die and let hit the ground. Because Jesus is about purity. He's about holiness. Um, he's about true love. So the father was his Lord. He was a slave to righteousness. It's what Paul is talking about in Romans 6 when he says, you have become slaves of righteousness. He's talking to the church in Rome. So we, when we become believers, we become slaves of righteousness. And if we have become slaves of righteousness, then how about we live it out, right? See, we become the righteousness of God first and foremost, but there's also a doing that comes after it. We have to live out this life in righteousness. When Jesus um, got baptized in the Jordan River, this is what he said. He said, I must do this to fulfill our righteousness. And some might say, well, that doesn't make any sense because Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He was spotless. Um, but this goes back to lordship. One, this was his enthronement on king, as king on this earth, but also it was because it was the Father's will. You know, he only did what the Father told him to do. And we do all this, we become righteousness of God first by faith, all right? So we become the righteousness of God by faith and faith alone, but we act out this life righteously, and we do it through simple obedience. And this is the third point. Um, and obedience is not legalism in a true form of obedience, now, legalism, there is a perversion, and we see that in the Old Testament with the law, right? But the thing about that is they were trying to earn their righteousness by works, by obedience. So it was, I, I'm going to do this and do that and do that and do this and do this and do this, and then I'll be righteous. No, that's legalism, right? First, we receive the righteousness of God through faith because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and came inside of us, that we now become the righteousness of God, but we obey because we love. And that's the third point, is he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You know, there's one place in the Bible that Jesus speaks of his nature. You know, there's many times where he talks about, you know, he's, a, he's the great I am, he's the son, he's 
this and that. But there's one time where he talks of his nature. And it says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, and it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I find it very um, interesting, very um, important is the word I was looking for, that he describes himself as gentle and humble. You know, as a people, as a, a, a Christian people, as a true body of Christ, you know, if Jesus describes his nature in two words, gentleness and humility, humble, then that should be our nature, gentle and humble. Um. But his humility, though, was proven by his obedience. Listen to it again. It says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. All right? If he didn't humble himself, if, or if he wasn't obedient to the Father, he wouldn't be humble. All right? You cannot tell me that you're walking in humility if you're not obeying what God is telling you to do. And this is the standard for many things. It's the standard for faith, right? If I tell you that there is a car coming at you, right, and you say, I have faith in you, but you do not work, you do not move out of the way, you didn't have faith because you weren't obedient. Like if, if I tell you that a car is going to come hit you, you would move out of the way. Right? Obedience has always been the standard. It's a standard for humility. It's a standard for faith. It's a standard for love. Um, the Bible says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But what happened, though, is that from the beginning, obedience, as I said, has been skewed. It's been skewed. And it's been turned into legalism. It actually began skewed through disobedience. It's kind of ironic, yeah? Obedience became skewed through disobedience. There's been this foggy lens over our eyes pre-Christ. But when we come to the Lord, right, when we get born again, and Ezekiel 36, 26 says that he gives us his heart and that he writes his law on our hearts and he puts his spirit within us. We're able to see clear. We're able to see clear. Everybody in this room, if you are born again and you feel the spirit of God, can see that loving him is obeying him. All right? Like, I'm about to marry this woman over here. You know, and when I, when, I, when I disobey God, it hurts him, right? I do not want to do anything ever in my life to hurt that woman, right? This, this similar with the relationship with God, even more so, right? I don't want to do anything to hurt God. And so therefore, I obey out of love. It's not legalistic, it's love. I'm in love with Jesus and Carly Vestal. <laughs> but he's jealous. He's jealous for us. And that's one of his names in the Bible. 
It's an exodus. You know, he's jealous for every bit of us, not just one part of our heart, not just today, not just tomorrow. He's jealous for our entire being. You know, um, I've been meditating on a verse in Hebrews. Open my Bible. Maybe I shouldn't get a zip-up Bible. It makes it more harder. It's in Hebrews 3, 12 through 16. And I'm just going to read it. It says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of the assurance firm unto the end, while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? And what he's referring to, he's referring to the Israelites in the wilderness walking around for 40 years. That was the result of that, is because they hardened their heart and they did not obey, and they did not listen to the word of God. And I'm here to tell you that you can, one, hear the voice of God, and two, obey. It's very simple. The part that I've really been meditating on is this is, is today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I would encourage you to wake up every morning and just say, today, Lord, if I hear your voice, Allow me to not harden my heart. So beautiful, man. So beautiful. Allow me to not harden my heart, Lord, if I hear your voice. See, I know some of this can be, it might sound like it's a hard word. It's not. It's a loving word because I'm in love with Jesus, but I'm also in love for souls. You know, Proverbs 11.30 says, he who is wise wins souls. And um, I just don't want anybody to be separated from the Father. So when I preach, I want, I want, to, I want to preach to bring conviction, you know. And I, I want people to know the, the nature of Jesus. And humility is the nature of Jesus. But... In order to be humble, we must obey.